So what are you guys doing here, Ben Osmanen? I know what you think you're doing here, Ben Osmanen. But I'd like to tell you the real deal. I'm going to tell you a mice that I don't think too many people know. The mice about the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Zatzal. He was very young at the time. He came to the United States. He was the son-in-law at those days of the Friyadika Lubavitcher Rebbe. So it turns out that in Lubavitch they have their ways of getting the Hasidim going. And one surefire proven way is it depends on what you got in the closet and the way of whiskey. So the Rebbe sees that he's low. So he turns to his son-in-law Lubavitcher Rebbe to be and he says to him, go out and I want you to get me as much whiskey as you can. He's going to make a fabringen that night, a drush of that night. And he wants to get the guys, he wants to get the Hasidim into it. In those days, they were on the Lower East Side. We're talking about right when they came to the United States. We're talking about a long time ago. So, he hands the Rebbe a few hundred dollars, and he tells the Rebbe, go out and buy as much whiskey as you can. The Rebbe goes out to the streets. Turns out that it was already late evening. All the liquor stores in the neighborhood were, locked, were closed. So he's walking up and down the streets and he's trying to find some place to buy whiskey. And he's going from one liquor store to the next. And everybody's closed. So gentlemen, listen to this. He knows that his father-in-law, he sent him on a mission. And once your father-in-law, the Rebbe, sends you on a mission, it means don't come back unless you have the whiskey. But the problem is there is no whiskey. And he's going from one liquor store to the everybody's closed. So what's he going to do? To come home empty-handed. Rekam, we can't come back empty-handed. To be able to uh, find something logistically, nothing opened. So what's he do? So listen to this. And I verified this Misa with someone who's very close with the family. He says, the Lubavitcher he was coming down one of the streets on the Lower East Side. And he sees a guy, homeless guy, and he's sitting there on the street, on the floor, and he's covered with basically the entire closet that the guy owned. He's wearing all his clothing, sitting on the floor, and he's hovering over a bottle of whiskey. And the guy's holding the whiskey like nobody's business. And the Rebbe stops, and he turns to this guy, and he says to the homeless guy, how much do you want for the bottle of whiskey? I need that bottle of whiskey. Homeless guy looks up and says, Rabbi, whiskey's not for sale. He says, no, no, come on. For the right price. Everything's for sale. What do you want for the bottle of whiskey? The guy says, Rabbi, listen to me. I'm not selling you the bottle. I need the bottle. So the Baba Cherebi turns to the guy and he says to the homeless guy, listen, I'll give you $50. In those years, that's a ridiculous amount of money for a bottle of whiskey. He says, tomorrow, the store's going to open. Be able to buy three bottles of whiskey. So come on, use the peanut. Come on, give up the bottle. Tomorrow you make three bottles. That bottle is only half full. Tomorrow you have three bottles completely full. Come on, think. I need that bottle. Take the 50 bucks. Homeless guy says, Rabbi, no deal. No deal. I'm not letting go of the bottle. 
Mom Shrugger says, listen, I can't go back to my father-in-law empty-handed. I need the bottle post. Now, Rebel Time, if you want to ask Kashis on the Misa, we don't ask Kashis on the Misa. But if you want to ask Kashis on the Misa, I'm assuming once the bottle was half empty, I'm assuming that the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe truly believed in the medicinal effects of alcohol when it comes to germs. That's all I can tell you. I can't come out better with that. All right? So let's just keep it like that, and we'll move on with the story. Because I know right now you're telling what the guy drank from. And got the... It's a story, no hakirs. Bottom line, he wanted the bottle. And he offered him 50 bucks. And the homeless guy said, no deal. No deal. The Rebbe puts, pulls out a $100 bill, and he waves the Benjamin in front of him. And he says, listen, I'll give you $100 for the bottle. Just give up the bottle. I need that bottle. You don't get it. I can't go back without $100. Tomorrow, you'll be able to buy six bottles of whiskey. Come on, half a bottle, six bottles. Do the math. Give up the bottle. He looks at the $100 bill, the homeless guy. He's thinking. No, Rabbi, no deal. The Rebbe pulls out another hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars. You understand what two hundred dollars we're talking about? You know, I don't know, early nineteen hundred. Two hundred dollars. There were people that didn't make that money in I don't know how many months. Come on, two hundred dollars. No deal, Rebbe. Three hundred dollars tomorrow. You can literally go and clear out the store. The Rebbe tried to be creative. He told the guy. Picture yourself walking through the store and picking up every bottle on the shelf. This is a homeless guy's dream. This is your paradise. I'm holding you $300. You'll clear out house. Just give up the half of it. Finally, the Rebbe offers him every dollar that his father-in-law gave him to spend on the whiskey, $400. He said, I'll give you the full $400. Just let me take the half a bottle. And the guy's hands are shaking. And he's looking at the bottle, looking at the money, looking at the bottle, looking at the money, and he turns to the Rebbe and he says, no deal. So the Rebbe looks at the homeless guy and he says to him, I, 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 even, in your, even in your drunkard stupor, I just can't find, I don't get you. I'm waiting for you $400. Tomorrow morning the store's open, you can clear out the whole store. You don't want to give up the half a bottle? And listen to what the drunkard says. Listen to what he says. He says, Rabbi, I want to explain to you something. As long as I have this bottle, I own all the bottles in New York City. As long as I have this bottle, I own all the liquor stores in New York City. As long as I have this bottle and I'm drinking this bottle, I'm the mayor of New York City. Ah. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm hoping you're getting this. 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 I'm really hoping, because the Rebbe said that that day, this, 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 this drunkard, this homeless Bowery bum, said the Rebbe, taught him as our lesson that he said he'll never forget as long as I'm holding the bottle I need nothing else as long as I have this you could flash at me all the money you could flash at me all the dreams 
you can flash at me all the quick pickups, all the marketing, savvy, beautiful. It means nothing to me. It means nothing to me. As long as I have this, everything else, I own. It's mine. Says the Rebbe, now I understand. A mensch could sit down, yoim valayla, and they're throwing at him money. Come, I'm starting a business. Come, look what I have waiting for you. Look what you're going to become. Look what you're going to have. Look what you're going to own. I start flashing by you cars and assets and summer homes and homes in Florida. How vital are you ready to hold on to that bottle? How vite do you believe in that bottle? How vite do you believe in a tire? How much do you believe in a tosafot? How much do you believe in a sugya? What do you feel like when you come out of a sugya with the Rishonim Haronim file cabinet perfectly placed with the summary of clarity? How do you feel? There's no money, Rabbi! There's no money in the world that can replace what I got right here. And that's why I'm here, Ben Asmani. Because if I have this... I'm the mayor of Brooklyn. I don't need anything else. The biggest bracha I can give to you is to taste the taste of Tyre. You tasted that taste. Everything else in the world is artificial flavoring. Everything else in the world is a joke. It's Hevel Havolim. You got the lease. But after two weeks, the new car smell wears off. And now I'm already being mechashben. When am I giving it back so I can get the next one? You built the house, agmat nefesh, adla shamayim. And now everybody wants to come in and start their Chinese auctions in your house so they can take a tour without you knowing. Yeah. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And then it goes from one thing to the next quick fix, to the next quick fix, to the next quick fix. And the guy says, I had it all. Why did I give it up? I had it all. I was holding it. Who cares what they threw at me? Who cares what they offered me? It was nothing in comparison. Because as long as I have this, I need nothing else. I'm holding the bottle. I'm holding it. I'm holding the bottle. I need nothing else. Kol lo all the hafatzim, everything they're going to bring you. It's nothing, it's shtuyot, it's worthless. This is where it's at. Never forget this. Never forget this. The day you touch the doorknob of the yeshiva is the day that your life changed. How many steaks can you eat? How many? It comes to a point where... Uh, how much luxury? How much can we swap? How much? It comes to a point where... But this is unlimited. This never wears out. Never wears down. Never too much. Never too late. Ah, Ashrecha. The day you touched the doorknob of the yeshiva, that was the day of no return. The moment you tasted what Torah is. But the real learning. The real learning. The real learning. The learning that we schwitz. The learning that we're up to 2 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night mishmar. And you know why I'm there? Not because people are looking at me. Because I need to be here. Because I can't go to sleep until I figure out this Tosafot. 
If you ever tasted that taste, you're a rich man. And I'm telling you, at the young age of, uh, how old do you think I am? Don't even answer. <laughs> You'll never taste anything else like it. Nothing will compare. So all the Disneylands of America, and they're going to wrap it and pack it and market it and face it, and it's going to look ooh-la-la. -la. And at the end, when you got it, it's ooh <laughs> And you say, it's not, it's not the real thing. It's not. It's not what I had in yeshiva. It's not those days. It's not those Thursday nights. It's not even the chunt of Thursday night. <laughs> and those are only the accessories. That's why you're here. And Hever, there's one more thing we need. I'm not going to take you too long. But we need. We need to live with a certain recognition that the Eivishter is running our lives and Ashrechen, that we became the elite that he chose us to be able to be the ones here, to be able to be the ones learning, and not the ones running. Ashrech. That's what Pesach is all about. They could have named it the Chag of Cherut. They didn't. They could have named it the Chag of Nesim Flaot. They didn't. They could have named it the Chag of Makat Bechorot. They didn't. They named it Pesach. Why did they name it Pesach? Hare, this was one prat of one makkah of the entire story. I mean, it's, it's, you're not doing justice to what you see at Mitzrayim was really about. There's ten makot, there was nesim and flawot. This is not even one makkah, this is a prat of one makkah. What's the prat? And the answer is, because this is the Nekudah that says it all. You know what this Nekudah says? You know what Pesach says to you? Pesach says to you one simple point. Could you imagine? Kid growing up in a house, a wealthy home. Well, at the age of three, he already has every toy that ever existed. At the age of 12, he's already been rolled out a bar mitzvah that money can't even pay for. At the age of 17, he already has a permit and he's already on his way to some sort of a luxury car. Does this kid appreciate anything that he has? His parents, his life, and everything that's being given. He grew into it. He was born into it. He grew up with it. It's part of the wallpaper of everything he had in life. Open your hearts. I want to tell you something. Picture an orphanage. And a husband and a wife walks through the doors. They turn to the head of the orphanage. We're here to adopt an eight-year-old boy. Just then, the word gets out. It's a panic. The entire orphanage is hopping and bopping. There are, there's a couple here that's looking to adopt somebody. The place is going wild. Finally, the word filters back that they only want an eight-year-old boy. So every eight-year-old boy runs back to his room. He takes a shower. He puts on the best scrubs that the orphan actually had. He puts on something that would give him some sort of an edge over everybody else. And finally, they come running down to the dining room, and they set him up straight. And there you have 70, 80 different eight-year-old boys. And then the husband and wife walks into the dining room 
and they're looking at this lineup of eight-year-old boys, and each kid is screaming, pick me, pick, take me, take me, pick me, please. I'll be the, I'll be the best son. You don't have to give me allowance. I'll take out the garbage. I'll mow the lawn in the winter. I'll mow the lawn. I, 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 you, 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 you tell me, put, put it out. Pick me. Pick me, please, pick me. And each kid is screaming, me, 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 me. And, and the husband, and husband, they don't know what to do with themselves. All they can take is one kid. But each kid is, is, is a gem. Each kid is a, is a... So they're walking up and down the line. And they're looking at each kid in the face. They don't know, they don't, they don't know what to do. And then they quiet down everybody. And then the husband and the wife. The wife looks at the husband. The husband looks at the wife. The wife looks at the husband. And they shake each other's heads. And they're in agreement. Which kid they're taking. And they silent everybody down. And then they look up on this long line of orphans. And they pick you. That's what happened the night of Pesach. Boreolam picked us. He chose you from everybody else. I chose you. I chose you. Can you imagine that? Makat Choshech, four-fifths died. That's 80% of 15 million. We walked out with only 3 million people. 12 million people died the night of Choshech. Could you imagine? Everybody heard that 12 million Jews died the night of Choshech. And here it is, Makat Bechorot. With only 20% left. And suddenly, what, 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 what do you think went on that night? What do you think they heard that night? Could you imagine what Mitzrayim sounded like the night of Makat Choshech? The yelling, the screaming, it was off the charts. Every, Lo shamet. You know what that means? You understand what that's, you know what I'm talking about? There wasn't a house that someone didn't die. So you hear the yelling and the screaming of all the Egyptians' mothers screaming, my son, oh my God, my son, they're screaming, they're yelling. And the yelling gets louder, and it gets louder, and it's coming to your house, and you're sitting on a cinder table with your kids, with your wife, and everybody looks at each other. They don't know what's about to hit them. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, in the last Maka, 80% of Claudius Yisrael was wiped out. What's going to happen tonight? This is it. This is it. Here comes the tidal wave. This is it. And they literally, everyone grams hands on the table. They don't know what's about to hit them. And it gets louder, and it gets louder. The mashchit is coming closer, and it's coming closer, and it's coming closer. And now literally they're holding on. It's like Universal Studios, you know what I mean? It's a, <laughs> they're holding on. It's like the whole house is shaking. It's coming at us. I know everybody was in the... Uh, it's coming, coming right at us. And they close their eyes. And the screaming and the, the, the noise is right above them. And then it goes. And it passes on. And then it gets lower. 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 And we look at each other on the table, we say. You know, like when you walk out of an accident, God forbid, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. 
I'm, I'm still here. And then everybody looked at each other and he said, Wow. Out of the whole line, he chose me. He chose you. Pesach. That's why it's called Pesach. Because he chose you. He chose you. He picked you. From everybody on the line, he walked out of the orphanage of Egypt with you. And for the rest of your life, that kid will always remember. You chose me. And if you chose me, it means that you have something for me big to do. And I'm never going to forget that from everybody else you chose me. And I'll always show that unbelievable recognition. You picked me. I'm going to go and become what you wanted me to become. I'm not going to let you down. Boreolam, Abba, I'm not going to let you down. Pesach, you chose me. This is an unbelievable emunah, even in tough times. And please, let me just close with this. Tough times. Khatam Sofer writes that the only Deoraita Achila that a Jew has these days is only Matzah. Matzah is nicknamed Nahama the Hemnuta. It's a bread with tremendous emunah. Nahama the Hemnuta. What does that mean? Says Khatam Sofer. When you eat Matzah, you gotta know something. You're eating emunah. Khatichot of emunah is entering your body, and this mitzvah diorayta enters your body, breaks down in your blood system, and it becomes part of your essence. Could you understand that? I take a davar bigdusha, a mitzvah, a matzah, a diorayta, and I eat it. I consume it. The kedusha, the, 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 the essence of the mitzvah becomes part of me. What does the matzah stand for? Emunah. Says the Chatam Sofer, know this, that the night of Pesach, every Kezayat Matzah that you're eating, you're consuming emunah. You're consuming emunah. You're cons it's becoming a part of your makeup. You become a Baal emunah, the night of Pesach. And we pick up that, that, that to fill up the tank for the whole year. But what type of emunah, real emunah, emunah amiti? Because emunah doesn't mean I believe there's a God. Hashem doesn't need your endorsement. It doesn't mean that I have faith that there is a God. Hashem doesn't need our haskama. Emunah means that I know there's a God. But I know that He's in control. And everything He does is for the best, is chesed. Even when it doesn't feel that way. So let me just close and tell you this. My brother, Rabbi Ari from Israel, he has a yeshiva out there, Ma'alo Dafna. And uh, some of you might know him from over the years, from camp or or anytime or other crazy places that you might have bumped into him. He's a wild guy. And Hara, he has a yeshiva there in Ma'alo Dafna. He's very matzliach with a lot of guys that other people... Um... Okay, anyways. So, he... I don't know why he even went there. He... He tells me an amazing Misa, and, and I was staying by him in January on midwinter, so I went over to the neighbor, and I heard it again from the guy that it actually happened to. So listen to this. He has a neighbor, Yushalmi guy. And this Yushalmi guy is a holy Jew. But he's extremely poor. You know what this guy does for a living? I, I, I wish 
not the poor, but I wish I had a little bit of zechut of what this guy has. This guy goes around to all the mikomot hakdoshim, all the kvarim in Eretz Yisrael, and he refills the oil. That's what this guy does. So this guy's constantly traveling to Tzvat and Tveria. You ever see that they have those little oil tanks on the, uh, and they light, especially on the earth side? So he would go from every, from the Arizal and the Shimon Bar Yochai, and he goes to Amuka, he goes, and he has a, he has a certain, uh, you know, a maslu. He has a certain thing that he goes on and he covers all the kvarim of the, he has an incredible list, and he fills it up with oil. What is a chut? What is a chut? So this guy, although he has a great job, he's penniless. Oh, the boss is calling. It's penniless. So it comes time for his first daughter. She gets engaged. A wonderful bacha. And he doesn't have a nickel to make the wedding. So he goes out and he borrows and he borrows and he borrows. Ah, this is the first wedding he's making. He wants to make it special. This is his oldest daughter, Sadeket of a girl. And the guy is a special chatan, special guy, Talmud Chatham. So he goes out and he borrows $22,000. It's going to cover everything. Everything. Like they say in Hebrew, complete. <laughs> everything. <coughs> the night before the chasana. He has everything set up. The night before the hatuna. They're sleeping in the apartment, the malodafna. And the guy breaks in. The guy starts going to the downstairs apartment and he's ransacking the place, tiptoeing around. And they're out cold sleeping. Nobody hears a thing. And he finds the hiding place under the belatot where they put the cash for the next morning's, next day's wedding. And this guy walks out with some jewelry. And 20 22 grand. In cash. Next morning, this Yushami guy wakes up thinking that it's the most happiest day of his, his life. It's his daughter, it's his first daughter, is about to get married. And he comes down and says, and he finds the place ransacked upside down completely. He has no, he's looking around. What in the world happened? And then it hit him. He screams to his wife, We were robbed! Oive! She comes running down, everybody comes running down and says, and he runs up to the Balatot where he knew he had the stash. And it's gone. Like they say in Brooklyn, it's gone. It's gone. He turns to his wife. His wife bursts out crying. He says to her, relax. I'd like to make a bump, bumper sticker one day. <laughs> That's it. No words. <laughs> No words. I heard that they have an emoji now that goes like this, right? And I didn't even get royalties. He told her. That was, that was the conversation. He goes out, he prays, and after tefillah, he goes out to the hall. And he sits down with the guy from the hall, and he shows him the police report. He was robbed the night before. And the guy, Ashrechem Yisrael, what can I tell you? The guy's heart broke for him. He says, listen, I'm only going to charge you 10% what I was going to originally charge you, and you can pay it to me over time. I'm just literally less than my cost I'm charging. He says, thank you, thank you. He goes to the caterer. The caterer says, ha'ochel alai. 
I wouldn't take a penny from you now if you even wanted to pay me. Nothing to me. You have to know what, what it means hidden. You have to know what a Jew means. You have to understand what this means. That's why he picked us. That's why we were chosen in the orphanage. You have to get that. Ah. He goes to the Tizmoret. The guy says, are you joking? I'm going to play for you over time. I want to be Mesameach Otchai after what you just went through. And pay me a nickel. He went to the photographer. The photographer tells him, Habibi, whatever you pay me, you pay me. You don't have to pay me. I'm giving you the best pictures. You're going to hang up in the house that was wrong. Unbelievable Jews. These are unbelievable people. He comes back home to his wife and kids. And he tells his wife, listen. You're not going to believe this, but this is what the photographer said. Tizmorit said this, and what the Paul says, what the caterer said. The wedding is on. The wedding is on. Okay. That afternoon, everyone gets into their suits, gets into their gowns. He's a large, Yishami, a large family. They come all pouring out. They come out, Ma'alo Daphna, from the building, and they're going to the chatzer in the back where the cars pull up, and they're waiting for the tender. They're waiting for the monit, they're waiting for the taxi to come to take him to the hall because they're going for the pictures. So the husband comes out, with his kids, and the kala, all dressed in white, and they're coming down together in gowns and suits. And his six-year-old, youngest girl, all dressed in gown, runs out into the parking lot. She was so excited to go, so excited to get there. She runs out, breaks away from the crowd, runs out into the parking lot. And she runs into the parking lot, and just then a truck turns into the parking lot and hits her flat on, and she's airborne. 10, 15 feet in the air, she comes down on the concrete. And then she jumps up, and she cleans herself up. And she runs up to her father and says, Abba, Abba, Hamunit Onloigia. The father took this kid. Picked her up, hugged her, hugged her, kissed her, hugged her. And he screamed on the top of his lungs, Thank you for taking the money! You did me the biggest chesed in the world. Thank you for taking the money. Verbeis, who knows what that money paid for. Thank you for taking the money. That's chesed. That's emunah. What he did was chesed. I, but it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's called Kulo Chesed. And he's called Kulo Ahava. And he's called Kulo Rahmanut. And he's El Rahumer Hanun. And he took you tomorrow night out of the Egyptian orphanage. And he picked you. And we're going to hold on to him. And we're going to hold on to the bottle. And you're going to see Bezat Hashem and the Zechuta Torah and the Munam Bitachon of Klau Yisrael. From this room is going to come tremendous Talmidei Chachami. Thank you for listening, Chazal.